and the prophets, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ, unto all and upon all them that believe, for there is no difference. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. How many people have sinned? The Bible says all. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You may be seated. Some time ago on Sunday morning, around Christmas time, I spoke here and I spoke to a very small audience because of the, the time of the year. And I talked about some exceptions that God had made to certain rules or certain laws of the Bible. And I want to cover that a little bit more thoroughly today because I think it will help us to understand something about the loving nature of God. You see, it's not God's will that any person die lost. It's not God's will that any person perish. God is a God that gives life. Now the particular statement that's made in verse 23 of Romans 3, for all have sinned. Now, we do know that this particular statement is making reference to all the people who have ever lived on the face of the earth. If you read Romans 1 and Romans 2, you will find that Paul says, well, there is really no difference between the Gentiles and the Jews as far as their status with God is concerned because the Gentiles by nature doing the things contained in the law, they went ahead and sinned. The Jews having the oracles of God sinned against that direct commandment. So he says that all the world stands guilty before the Lord. Now, you and I know that it is impossible to live in this present life up until the time of our new birth without committing sin. The Bible tells us that we are born with this horrid condemnation. Now, when Jesus came to, to Nicodemus in John 3, and if you take and turn there, with me, John, the third chapter. <clears throat> the Bible says, For God so loved the world, John three sixteen, that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world. You see, the purpose of Jesus' coming was not to tell everybody they, was, they were lost and condemn them. His purpose of coming in the world was to assure them that there was hope through God. And so he came to bring life, not death, because death was already present. Why was death already present? Because of the commandment, the very first commandment that man received in Genesis 2.17... Now, if you'd like to turn back there, now keep your hand on, or your place there in John 3. Genesis 
Well, let's back up to 16 and, and read it. And the Lord God commanded man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest eat freely. Now, this is Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof, thou shalt surely die. And throughout the Bible you will find the statement made, especially to the, to the household of Israel, in the words of the prophets, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Exodus 18.4 and throughout the book of Exodus, it speaks of this, the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. Now Paul comes along then and says, we have all sinned. And that simply means then that all of us are worthy of death. That every man who has ever lived upon the face of the earth is worthy of death. Why? Because he's a transgressor. Because he has defiled the human race. He is a part of that race. He's defiled himself. He's sinned against God. He's broken the commandment of the Lord. So the very first commandment given in the Bible tells us the soul that sinneth, it shall surely die. And of course man, all of us, have sinned. Now go back to John, the third chapter. For God sent not his Son into the world, verse 17, to condemn the world that the world through him might be saved. He that believeth on him is not condemned. In other words, if you have a born-again experience... And we want to cover this. Now you may say, well, Brother Grant, you're changing the word believe it to born again. Well, please understand that Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus. And it was to Nicodemus, he said, you must be born again. And we'll cover that a little more thoroughly in the latter part of this message. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. See, Paul says, there is now therefore no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not according to the flesh, but after the Spirit. And so God has removed the condemnation from us by a walk in the Spirit. And Jesus told Nicodemus, you must be born of the Spirit, also of the water. Now, the plan is very simple. If you want to be lost, in other words, if you don't really care about God and you don't care about religion and you don't care about eternity, then you just do nothing about it. Just nothing. In other words, you don't have to go around trying to be a big sinner in order to get into hell. It's going to come to you simply because you did nothing about it. It will automatically be your lot when you pass from this life. It will automatically be your destination if you do nothing about it. Jesus said in Mark 16, He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And believeth not means just void of belief. In other words, you have manifested no basic Faith in God. 
If you want to be lost, you don't do anything. If you want to be saved, you've got to do something. All right, let's go one step further here in John, in John 3. He that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In the name of the only begotten Son of God. And there's only one name, and that is what name? The name of Jesus. Praise God. I like these, do you? And Sister Diane, thank you so much for... Putting this one up here. Publish his name. We're going to be talking about that in our revival services. And I'm here to tell you that Brother Hightower will set your soul on fire. Now we have, we're having a couple of revivals here real close together. Some people question that. Well, I wondered if we should have a 13-week revival or just have a couple of revivals and give you a rest. So don't look at it as if we're really trying to... to uh, you know, lays one on you real heavy. We're trying to give you a little rest by not having one full quarter revival services. Okay. <laughs> you got to look at the positive side of it. So we may go a couple of weeks after Brother Hightower and then crank up and have another one, see. But at least we're giving you some rest in between. Praise God. <clears throat> Publish his name. There is only one name. Praise God. We must believe in that name. And that name is Jesus. Praise God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world and that men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. That's why man lives under the cloud of death. I say that's why man lives under the cloud of death. Now, if you turn with me to John, the 8th chapter, and we want to read verse 24, and this is a scripture that we've read so many times on Sunday morning. On Sunday morning, we talk a lot about salvation and a lot about the new birth. Jesus said, I say therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. Now, the death that he's talking about here and the death that's spoken of Back in Genesis 3, or Genesis 2, pardon me, 17, is the second death that's found in Revelation 21, verse 8. Now turn there with me. And we trust as you begin to turn through the Scripture, and you see what the Scripture says, that conviction will come to your heart. Revelation 21, verse 8. But the fearful and unbelieving, let's say unbelieving, unbelieving. Now why did he put this in there, unbelieving? And the abominable and murderers and whoremongers and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars. 
shall have their part in the lake which burneth with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now this is making reference to dying in your sins. Now, he speaks of people who have transgressed, people who have very definite problems with God, the fearful, the murderers, the whoremongers, the sorcerers, the idolaters, the liars. But he also says the unbelieving. In other words, you may not have any problems with any of this. You may just be as good as anybody who's ever walked on the face of the earth. But he inserts the word the unbelieving. Simply because that you never do anything about the condition. That comes upon all men as a result of transgression against the law of God. He said, you must die. Isn't that something? Now, we're not just talking about dying and being placed in a casket and being put in a hole someplace. No, we're talking about being cast into outer darkness where there's weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. We're talking about fire. We're talking about brimstone. We're talking about hell. We're talking about the lake of fire. We're talking about where people go and spend forever and ever and ever in torments. You may say, oh, that sounds unfair. Well, you can do something about it. You know, people who don't like that, I'll tell you the truth. That's the reason why I'm saved today. Because I thought it didn't sound too good either. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. But John comes along in his gospel and he makes an exception to that very first law that's found in the Bible. And I think that's so very great. Notice what he says. I say therefore unto you that ye shall die in your sins. For if ye believe not that I am he, ye shall die in your sins. In other words, John says that a man who's born in sin, he's going to die unless. In other words, he makes an exception to that. Now, I really do appreciate the fact that God has made an exception to some laws that are found in the Bible. And I want to call your attention to a few here to help you better understand the horrible condition that man gets in and the precarious situations that he gets in and that God really does have mercy and why he has mercy in certain cases and why he does not in certain cases. Now the Ten Commandments is found back in Exodus 20. We just want to point out something here that I think is very, very good. And God spake all these words saying, 
I am the Lord thy God, which hath brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no gods before me. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image, or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I am the Lord thy God, for I, rather, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me, and showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me, and do what? And keep my commandments. And thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou nor thy son nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within the gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Now I think that's such a, I think that is such a beautiful, beautiful passage of Scripture. Now we stop there, that's not all the Ten Commandments, but we stop there because we want to deal with that last commandment concerning the Sabbath day. Now, the Lord told us that we should keep the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now this is under the Mosaic Law, and of course, as you know, according to the, to the book of Hebrews, the Sabbath day was a type and a shadow of that which was to come. And of course it was a day of rest. We have entered into that particular day or that particular age of rest. Now that is such a, a very, very important thing. You see, sometimes the, the word day means evening and morning. Sometimes the word day actually means age. And if you notice in the Genesis uh, 2, and Genesis, uh, Genesis 2 rather, when it speaks of the Sabbath day, if you notice there, it does not say the evening and the morning were the seventh day. Six days, oh yes, it says that on the first day, the second, the third, the fourth, the fifth, and the sixth, but not the seventh day. It does not say the evening and the morning were the seventh day. Now, why does it not say that? Because it's speaking, it's prophetic of an age to come. Now, for an example of what I'm saying, if you will turn with me to Acts, the second chapter. And I think this is such a beautiful, beautiful uh, example of what, uh, what is really taking place concerning the Sabbath day and what it is really prophetic of. Acts, the second chapter, starting with verse 1, it says, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, Notice this. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. Now the truth of the matter is, if you look up the Greek for the word day here, it is not making reference to a 24-hour day. 
It is making reference to a dispensation or to a particular age. The word day here could be translated, and when the age of Pentecost has fully come. Now the reason why that the writer of the book of Luke uses this particular Greek word, it's because that the day of Pentecost that he's speaking of, even though it did occur on the festive day in which they went and observed the 50th day after the exodus from Egypt, when he wrote it here, he put it down when the age of Pentecost was fully come. Why? Because he was talking about more than just a day and a night. He was talking about more than an evening and a morning. But he's talking about a dispensation. The truth of the matter, while we call this the church age, biblically speaking, this is the age of Pentecost. It's the dispensation of Pentecost. It's the time for us to worship God in this new experience of rest. And the day of Pentecost never passed, friend. It's still alive today. Why? Because God is still pouring out the power of the Holy Ghost, just like He did in the opening moments of the day that occurred in 33 A.D. Praise God. This is the age of Pentecost. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise God. So the Sabbath day, it does not say the evening and the morning. Why? Because it was prophetic of an age of rest, an age of Sabbath. But under the law, they observed a particular day. God had them to observe that day simply because that they needed the physical rest and simply because that they needed to look forward to a time in which the Holy Ghost would come upon them. Now, we know that God not only told them to remember the day, He also said, you're to keep it holy. Now, He didn't stop there. He actually told them what He meant by keeping it holy. Now, you're not supposed to work. We don't want, we don't want any of the papas or mamas working. We don't want any of the children working. You have servants. We don't want the men servants working. We certainly don't want the the maid servants working. In fact, we don't even want your cows and and horses and such out working. In other words, don't give them a task. If you're grinding at the mill and such, then give them a time of rest. Now, God, when He laid down this law, He made no exceptions to this particular rule. And if you notice one thing throughout the Bible, when God makes a rule, if he later makes an exception to that rule, he does not state the exception with the original rule. Why? Because it would take away from the validity of the rule. That would be like me telling my son, Now son, now your curfew is 12 o'clock. You make sure that you're home. But now if in the event something happens and you can't make it, Dad understands. 
what something would happen. That's true. Something would happen. You know that it would. Now, just how strict was God concerning these commandments? Well, there was a man who was out picking up sticks on the Sabbath. The man seemingly had a legitimate cause. And so he was out picking up sticks on the Sabbath. When they brought the man to Moses, Moses wanted to be lenient and let the man go. But he inquired of the Lord. And the Lord says, I want you to take him out and stone him. Why? Well, you see, this man, all he wanted to do was, was cook some food and build a fire. But God says, now, you can't, you can't cook on the Sabbath. You can't even have a fire in your home on the Sabbath. That's under the Mosaic law. You see, what happened here was the man was too lazy to get his act together the day before. And God says, through your negligence, there's no excuse for him. He should have had his wood already. He should have had his pot of beans boiled already. And that's negligence on his part. Simply because that he was too lazy to do anything. No. In other words, he had control of the circumstance. He could have prevented it. But he didn't. And so God says, Moses, even though you'd like to show mercy, we won't show any mercy. Stone him. But does that mean that God never made an exception of this rule? The Pharisees came to Jesus, the Bible says, and when they came to him, they came tempting him. And they asked him. They said, is it right for you to heal a man on the Sabbath? See, Jesus in Luke 14 had healed a man on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, well, wait just a minute. And he referred them back to an exception to the Sabbath day law. And when exceptions were made, they were always made in view of situations that were beyond an individual's control. Which of you, he said, have an, an ox or an ass that if he broke out of his pen on the Sabbath day and fell in a ditch and he was going to die there, which of you would not go get him out on the Sabbath day? Now why did Jesus refer like that? Because the law made an exception. The man was not to work, neither was his oxen, neither were the asses to work. But you see, the situation was, 
There was a circumstance that was totally beyond this man's control. This dumb beast in the middle of the night, waking out of his sleep, decides that he wants to go across the road or into greener pastures. And while his master was slumbering, he woke up on the bright Sabbath day ready to worship God and ready to do nothing but rest and refresh himself for that first day of the week. And then all of a sudden, he heard the moanings and groanings of a beast as he was dying there in the ditch. And he looked down and he said, This is my livelihood. I couldn't help it. I had nothing to do with it. It's not like the lazy man who slept in and didn't pick up the stick. <coughs> Pardon me. It was a circumstance that was beyond his control. And so as a result, God says, Now, if something like this ever happens, even though my law states that you should not work on the Sabbath, He said, It's not your fault that he fell in the ditch. So you gather your neighbors and you hook a rope around his neck and you put a cradle under his belly, and you pick him up and get him out, even if it takes you all day long. In other words, go right ahead and break the original commandment. Why? Because there's a circumstance that's beyond your control. But I'll show no mercy for the man who, on his own accord, would not prevent a circumstance and didn't try to prevent a circumstance. I'll show no mercy for a man who for just selfish reasons will just lie down and not prepare for the next day. I'll show no mercy. Now, if we go on, you'll find that the Bible says, Honor thy father and thy mother, that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord God giveth thee. Respect for authority. Let's just use that for a moment. You know, I think respect for authority is such a great thing. And there's not a whole lot of respect for authority in our particular day. Did you know there is as much rebellion in the world as there ever has been? You better believe there's a lot of rebellion in our world today. A lot of it. And, and it's got where that it doesn't make any difference who they are. Now, you know, I believe that the Bible tells me that I should pray for the leaders of our country. You know, somebody you have a burden for and you're praying for, it's hard for you to make fun of them all the time. Isn't that right? You know. And the first thing the media does when a new president is elected, they look for things that are wrong in him. Now, I'm not here to tell you that I endorse all of the policies of President Reagan. I'm just trying to tell you the Bible says pray for the kings, even though he's not a king. He is in that position of authority. He is the leader of our nation. You know. And uh, I can also tell you this. I didn't like everything that Carter did. But I can tell you this one thing for sure. Uh, some of the newspapers and some of the magazines and such that I, I saw, which made uh, Jimmy Carter look like a dumb peanut farmer, uh, didn't do much for me. You know. Well, I never knew the man, 
It's just hard to pray for people and have a burden for people that you think are simpletons and ignorant and out of it. You understand what I'm saying? See, when you even if you thought that, when you get really get a burden for them, you kind of change your mind. And while you may be aware of certain deficiencies, you honor them and respect them. The Bible teaches us to pray for people in positions of authority. Then you know, not too long ago in the mid-60s, during the hippie movement, everybody was calling the, the cops, the policemen. They were calling pigs and fuzz and such like that. You know, a couple of times my boys came home from school. They, they said something about, well, the fuzz had somebody over there, you know. And uh, listen, that went over like a lead balloon with me. See, I didn't like that at all. Does that mean all policemen are right? Oh, no. You know better than that. But you see, they are in a position of authority. You see? See, what happens here, when you start choosing who you will honor in positions of authority and who you will not, First place, you're out of violation of the scripture. But secondly, please understand this, that there is a particular chain of command. And you will find that most people who don't like to honor people, they really like to be honored themselves. Have you ever noticed that? You take a rebellious son. He starts his own household. He wants his wife to be a slave to him. Everything he says, he wants her to do it. He wants his children to obey every rule. Because you see, rebellion stems from selfishness. I won't listen to you, but you listen to me. Because I got all the answers, son. See? So the Bible tells us the first commandment we promise is, is honoring our father and our mother. Now the Bible doesn't just stop there. We are to honor governments, the laws of the land, the ordinances of men. You may say, oh, I'll never do it. Well, some of you will. You can't always get out of paying that ticket. See? You can't always stay out of jail. You can't always stay out of prison. And I would say if the truth is known, the reason why that you stop at most of those stop signs is because that you do fear them much more than what you think you do. It's because you do believe they're in control much more than you think they're, uh, that you want to admit they're in control. See? See? Is there ever an exception, though, in, to, in which we don't have to obey authorities? You see, Peter said, we should obey every ordinance of man, for this is the will of God. Yet Peter himself was the first man in the Scripture, New Testament, book of Acts, who actually violated the law. Why? Because man had laid down a law in which was contrary to the law of God. And he had to make up his mind which law he would obey. And he said, sirs, I would rather obey 
God than man. Why? Because you see, God had told them to preach the gospel unto every creature. God had told them to do what they were doing. But he came along later. He was a violator of the law. But he came along later and said, I want all of you to obey every ordinance of man. Now when he says every ordinance of man, he made no exception. Does that mean there's no exception there? The exception to the rule was not placed there with the rule. And it was placed and it was was not placed there intentionally. Because if Peter would have said, Obey every ordinance of man unless you have reason not to. He knew very well that most people would try to find a reason not to obey it. He knew very well that they would. Thou shalt not kill. Were there any exceptions to that rule? Definitely there were some exceptions to that rule. You can find them in the scripture. You see, God says, and you can just turn there if you'd like, to uh, Exodus 21 verse 12. God says, He that smiteth a man so that he die shall surely be put to death. Now let me ask you, who's going to put the man to to death? Some executor. Now, regardless of what you, how, how you feel about capital punishment, please understand that was God's idea originally. And there's a whole lot of difference. I don't care what people say. There's a whole lot of difference in putting somebody to death in an electric chair and shooting somebody's brains out in their bedroom. And I want to point out the difference. You see, to burglarize a home, or to shoot somebody down in a bar scene. What is the motive? It's selfishness. It's taking vengeance in your own hands. It's hating somebody. I'll settle this myself. I'll pull out my gun and I'll shoot him. And so you do that. But you see, capital punishment was not a selfish motive. God was saying, I put the law in the hands of men. Now you should not kill. Now killing is killing. But you see, your attitude and your motive and your reason determines whether God will show mercy or not. And God was saying, Anybody who's a murderer, anybody who is selfish and self-centered enough and so uncontrollable that he can't contain himself and in a fit and a rage of anger strikes somebody and kills them. He said, we won't show any mercy. Put him to death. But the truth of the matter is somebody's got to do it. But I can't do it because the commandment says, Thou shalt not kill. 
When the original commandment was written, there was no exception to that rule, was there? Even in the days of Cain, when Cain slew his brother, God would not even allow a man at that particular time to take it into his hands. But after the flood, when God placed the government in the hands of man, the human government dispensation, nor receive the commandment of the Lord, whosoever sheddeth man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Now, I'm not talking about New Testament. We're not getting into a... Uh, <laughs> A Bible study on whether or whether whether or not rather it is right for capital punishment to be in effect today. But I'm showing you something about the Old Testament here just for a moment. So God's saying, well, now it does make a difference how you kill. You see, if you go as an executor with 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 love and compassion in your heart, but but still you smite the man with stones, or however they did it in the Old Testament. Most of the time it was with stones, and, and you stand there. There is there is no there's nothing in your heart against that man. There's no selfishness there. You're doing it to wipe out selfishness. You're doing it to wipe out hatred. You're doing it to teach the human race that that uh, that nobody can rise up and take vengeance in his own hands. So God didn't make an exception of that. Also, when they defended their country, he made an exception to that. Now, I personally believe if, if God did not make an exception, there's got to be some real contradiction in the Scripture. A God that says, Thou shalt not kill, is not going to turn around and say, Okay, but you go over there and you wipe out all the Canaanites. Why? Why? I'm not personally acquainted with any of the Canaanites. And the Canaanites are guilty... Of death, why? Because they have violated the law of God. Now you follow along with me. You may say, Brother Graham, uh, you may be able to prove that scripture, but I don't like it. That's your tough luck. I mean, it's the Bible. You see, if we all voted, if we all voted against God today, we couldn't change it. See. And you may say, well, it's a good thing I ain't God. Praise the Lord for that. Because you see, God is always right. And He is always just. And you may not like a thing He does, but nevertheless, He's still God. So that's the way it is. And what alternative do you have if you don't like it? So, well, I won't live for Him. I'll show Him. I won't give my life. Well, listen, you try to make a fool out of God, he'll make one out of you. Why? Because he's God. You see, there has never been taught in America the fear of God like we need to teach the fear of God. We need to train up our little children to love God and to fear him and to respect him. And I'll tell you what, if you do that, you'd have less problems in the home too in your own position as a father or a mother. So God did make some exceptions to that particular rule also. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt not steal. Now, as you go down through here, you'll find that not all the laws, exceptions were made. I don't think it's ever right to steal. Why? Because the Bible never says that it is. Well, what if I'm hungry? And what if I can't, what if I can't find anything to eat? And what if I got down to where there's nothing? 
All you got, if you surrender your heart to God, God will feed you. He said He would do that. See, in other words, He says, "I'm not going to make any exception to that." All you got to do is give your heart to Me. I'll feed you. David said, "I was young, and yet I'm now I'm old, but I've never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread." See, so throughout the the Bible, you will find certain exceptions to certain rules. From the beginning, God says, I made them male and female. And therefore shall a man leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife, and they shall be one flesh. God never said there would be an exception to that rule when he made that rule. But Jesus himself comes along in Matthew 19 and said, I say unto you that a man should not put away his wife and marry another, saving for the fornication. And whosoever marries her causes her to commit adultery. Now what was he saying? He was saying, a man should never put away his wife and marry another except it be for fornication. Now why did he use except it be for fornication? Because that is a situation that is beyond your control. And so the innocent party could put away his spouse if fornication had been committed. Now this is a Bible. I didn't take that out of the funny books. Okay. But he said, he made it plain though. But from the beginning, it was not so. In other words, when I made the law, I didn't put it there. And when I made Adam and Eve, I placed them together. And they were innocent. And it was my will that they be together from that day henceforth. In other words, God did not make them creatures destined to sin. They were innocent. They didn't know what sin was all about. But God did make an exception to the original law when sin entered into the world. Moses suffered it to be so because of the hardness of your heart. He had to deal with the situation. Now, we want to go back to this John 8.24. He said, I say unto thee. Let's turn there and get it right. I say therefore unto you, that you shall die in your sins. Why? Because you're a sinner. And the original law said the soul that sinneth shall surely die. God But then the Lord comes along and says, now I'm going to make one exception to that. And I'll tell you the reason why I'm going to make the exception. The reason why I'm going to make the exception is because you were born of Adam into a world in which you personally had no control over. Your parents may have control over their world, and their parents had control over their world, and their parents had control over their world. But you don't have any control. You were born in this. Now, 
The thing about it is, when you reach the age in which you are transgressor, you control your world. But when that happens, please understand, you have already been pronounced guilty. Why? Because you inherited sinful nature that was subject to temptation and trouble and death. However, because that I understand the devil and because I understand sin, for you, Jimmy, for you, John, for you, Linda, for you, George, for you, Wallace, and for all of you that would believe on me, I'm going to make an exception for you. You won't have to die. But you've got to believe. What do you have to believe? You have to believe that I am He. What do you have to believe? You've got to believe that I am the Almighty God. You've got to believe that I am the Redeemer of the world. You've got to believe that I am the self-existing one that's spoken of in Exodus 3.14 at the burning bush, I am that I am. You've got to believe that. Now, if you don't believe that, if you don't accept this as an exception to the rule, then you know what's going to happen? You're going to die in your sins. Aren't you glad that God does show mercy? I'm so glad that God shows mercy. What would I be doing right now if God had not looked down one day and looked upon the world with compassion and said, I've got to make an exception there are too many people down there that are walking to and fro that seem to be brute beasts for eternity, as Peter speaks of, destined to die, lost without a cause, lost without a hope. And then Jesus Christ was born in the world, a living, visible manifestation of the unseen God to bring us Repentance. Now the first step of the exception law, you must believe. But it goes even further than that. Jesus said, Yea, I say unto thee, in Luke 13, 3, Except ye repent. Now in order to find out what the scripture teaches on any particular subject, you've got to look out or search out all of the evidences found in the Bible. Except you repent. Now you cannot repent unless you believe. Can you? Hebrews eleven six. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is. That means you must believe that there is a God. And that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Romans 10. Call upon the name of the Lord and thou shalt be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have never heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And that's the reason why it's important that I stand behind this pulpit today and bring to you the Word of God. It's important that every person in this congregation leave this place and go out and tell people about God. 
It's important that you teach your home Bible studies. Witness to your friends and neighbors. Become a real soul winner. Why? Because the human race is lost without a knowledge of God. And you've got to give them that knowledge. Because they cannot call on something or somebody. They cannot call on the God of the universe if they don't know nor have never heard the God of the universe. But God has given me this privilege to be able to stand here. But it's more than a privilege. It's also a responsibility. Paul said, woe is me if I preach not the gospel of the Lord. But then, after a person has fully repented, the exception law is extended even further. It's really a part of it. Notice this. John 3 and we just back up to the first part of this chapter. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God. For no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. Jesus answered and said unto thee, him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now what Jesus is saying is there is no possible way that an entrance can be made in the kingdom of God except you be born again. So you must believe and you must repent to the God that you believe in. Why do you need to repent to him? Because all sin is a transgression against his law, not yours, but his. All sin is a violation against his ordinances, not yours. That's why you repent to him. God, I am a miserable, lost, wretched sinner. I am on my road to a devil's hell. I don't want to burn in the lake of fire forever and forever. You are proving to God that you believe in him, that you're manifesting faith in him. Why? Because you see, you can't repent without a knowledge and without a basic belief in Him. I surrender my all to you, God. I don't want to die forever and forever and forever in a lake of fire. And I know that some of you are hearing probably for the very first time today that there is a live lake of fire that burns forever and ever and ever. Why? Because pulpits today are void of this idea of eternal punishment. Our concept of God is so disconfigurated. We just believe that God is some kind of a lob of a spirit up in the world that, that just kind of caused everything to come into existence. Last night coming back from Milwaukee, I was listening to radio in uh, uh, Chicago and, and a man was talking about uh, the spirit of light. And he, talk, he talked about 6,000-something people who supposedly had been resurrected from the dead. And he referred, he, he referred to God as the Spirit of light. Well, while God is light, friend, He's more than just something that's illuminating in, uh, in outer space. He's more than that. You must say, what is He like? Well, man was made in His own likeness and His image. 
while there may be a shine coming forth from this man's countenance, he's more than just a shine. That may be an attribute of Brother Rutherford's, but that's not all there is to him. And that's not all there is of God. And I think people use this because they don't really like to get down and personalize thing about, things about God. Anyway, the great spirit of light, the creator, the supreme being, is so loving and so kind. And he just kind of, oh well, he, I don't know if it should be he or like the Pope says she. Did you read that in the paper? Pope John Paul II has been calling God she. Did he not do that in the paper? Sure. <clears throat> you saw about six or eight months ago on, on T-shirts they were referring to God as being she. Speaks of when God made Adam and Eve she this and she that. And we all went around, ha, ha, ha. I mean, you know, making a joke out of it. That's what the world, but to the Pope it's not a joke. <laughs> You hear what I'm saying? You listening to me? You may say, oh, he's referring to Mary. You better believe that's who he's referring to. But Mary is not the mother of the Godhead. God is the great I Am. That's what he said. And when he said, I am the great I Am, and you must believe that, that simply means I am the self-existing one. Nobody gave birth to God. God used the womb of a woman to come into the world. But there was a God a long time before there was ever a woman. There was a long time that lapsed before God ever made man. He always was and He always will be. And I feel totally indebted to stand behind this pulpit today to tell you that there is a live, literal hell that burns forever and forever and forever that was made not just for you or maybe not even for you at all, according to the Scripture, but for the devil and his angels. But why should you go there? Because you have chosen to walk with him. Because you have not believed on God. God has made a way in which you can escape the lake of fire. And listen to me. I challenge you to read your Bible. Why? To prove that I'm wrong? No. Because faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And if you'll take your Bible and you'll start reading in the book of Matthew and read all the way to the, through to the book of, of, of Revelation, friend, uh, and you read it back and forth, and, and you run cross-references and such, you'll find out that faith begins to well up in your heart for salvation, and a fear comes upon you that God's Word is right, and that I will die lost without His Holy Spirit. After repentance, except a man be born again. Nicodemus said unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born again? Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot. Now notice what he did. When he used the word cannot, he extended the exception rule as far as he ever intended to, accept, to extend it. When he used the word cannot, he stops the exception. In other words, you're going to die lost. Why? Because all have sinned. 
Are there any exception to that? I have sinned. Brother O'Neill has sinned. Brother Felix has sinned. Sister Hughes has sinned. Everybody here has sinned. The exception, I must believe that He is the great I am. I must repent to Him. I must be born again of water and the Spirit. Any other exceptions? No. He closed it off by saying, You cannot pass this. That's it. Now, if you think just shaking hands with the preacher is going to get you into heaven, you're badly mistaken. If you think just paying your tithing and coming to church will get you there, you're badly mistaken. If you think just joining a church someplace and going through catechism will do it, you're badly mistaken, friend. It won't do it. It won't do it. You've got to be born of the water and of the Spirit. What do you mean be born of the water? Baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. The reason why that it's important that you be filled with the Spirit because, you see, when Jesus was here, He said, the words that I speak unto you, they are Spirit and they are what? Life. You see, the Spirit is alive. It's eternal. And when you repent, you know what you do? You kill that old man of sin. And God quickens the empty, clean vessel that has fully repented and been baptized and clean, washed away. With his own spirit. Karen, he puts it right down inside of your heart. Now, why then do I not have to die? Because God's spirit is eternal. You see, I got it in me. Why would I have to die before I received it? Because sin is death. It's destined to go to hell. Hell is the prison bar of iniquity. All sin will be cast in the lake of fire. But you see, I separated myself from my sin by obedience to the Word of God and by the blood that comes through obedience. Now I have the Spirit. And while the Bible says the soul that sinneth shall surely die. Have you sinned, John? Yes, I've sinned. But you see... God looked down one day and said, you know, I'm going to show some leniency. I'm going to show some mercy. Why? Because, you see, you're locked into a situation in which you had little control over. You're a sinner even before you came to a knowledge that there was a Redeemer. And only will I show an exception when there is a circumstance that is beyond your personal control. I'll save you. Mr. Mrs. Grandmas, Grandfathers, Aunts, Uncles, Children, Moms, Dads, listen to me.
you may have never heard before that Jesus Christ is your Redeemer. You may have walked in here fairly innocent. You see, there was a day, the Bible says, in which God turned his head upon ignorance. But he says, I don't do it anymore. Now I call all men to repent. But my preacher, I didn't even know before I came here. That's the reason why that God shows leniency and mercy to you today. But as far back as I can remember, I've had these horrible selfish feelings of envy and hate and such. That's why God shows mercy today. You want to be saved? You must believe. You want to be saved? You must repent. You want to be saved? You must be baptized and filled with the Holy Ghost. It's the free gift of eternal life. God can give it to you today. Praise God. Right where you are, without standing, there's heavy conviction here. God's talking to some heart. Would you just bow your head? All of you. Now as you bow your head and you begin to personally communicate with God, why don't you just build up right now enough courage in your heart to speak to Him like you would speak to a friend. What do I say, Pastor? Why don't you tell Him that you believe in Him? Why don't you tell Him that you know that the Word of God contains the answer? Why don't you confess to Him that he is the Almighty. Why don't you do that? And then after that, why don't you start asking God to forgive you of all the sin that you've ever committed? Praise God. Would you do that right now? Right where you sit? God, forgive me. I'm a lost sinner. God forgive me, I've transgressed. God forgive me, I have not been what you want me to be. God, I know that there is a lake of fire where all sinners will die and be lost forever and ever. But I want you to show mercy. For your word says the soul that sinneth that shall surely die. I want you to love me. And I want to love you. And I want you to sweep across my heart with, your, with the knowledge of the Word. I want to do what you want me to do, God. Are you praying that right now? Come on, right now, all of you. Praise God. Now, do we have somebody who just stepped right out? Just stand up right where you are and step right out and come and kneel on either side of the pulpit. And from this point on, we have Christian workers who will kneel by your side 
instruct you and work with you as to your next step. It's very simple. You just need to submit to God in real down-to-earth repentance. But perhaps you need some encouragement or some help. Who would like to stand up and just come down here right now? Oh, God. All right, we've got uh, a couple of people coming already. We need some Christian workers to come. Brother Roger, go over here and kneel, would you? Brother Don, would you kneel also? Praise God. Brother O'Neill, would you come? Brother Wallace. Oh, hallelujah. Somebody else come. Would you come right now? Oh, glory to God, glory to God, glory to God. Oh, hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Would somebody else come? Now God's speaking to hearts right now. There's some of you that really like to come. If you just had a little more backbone, you'd do it. But for some reason, you won't do it. But the best thing to do is forget about your friends and forget about relatives and forget about everything else and say, God, it's just me and you and I want to make this confession. Why don't you step out right now and just come up here and kneel and pray? Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on, step out right now. Somebody else wants to come. Praise God. Hallelujah. 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 Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Praise God. All right. God bless you for coming and being with us today. We trust that you have gotten something out of this message that will be good for you in your days and years to come. If you just turn and find a place to kneel and pray right where you are. After you have prayed, you may consider yourself dismissed. Remember our service tonight at 7 o'clock.